Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our podcast called the Philosopher's Stoned Podcast. Little play on a Harry Potter movie title, but also, uh, you know, it's an old alchemy thing, right? From back in the day. I don't know why I'm explaining our name, but uh, we thought it was quite clever, didn't we? Sam Laboon, what's up? <laughs> yo, yo, yo. Yeah, exactly. Very clever. No one's ever thought of it before. Never, ever. We're the originals. Um, this is our second episode we've recorded this week. And why is that, Sam? Tell us what happened here. Well, we're doing a three-part series. Yes. And we recorded part one last week. Yes. And then on Monday of this week, we recorded part three. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, if you're a keen observer, you'll notice that we didn't record part two. <laughs> So I think that was Sunday, and you know what? I'm actually, this is a little bit of a blessing in disguise because I actually am now, because this podcast will come out before the one we recorded on Sunday, so I actually have the opportunity to preemptively apologize for this upcoming podcast next week because uh, out of the three cylinders that I have operating in my brain, none of them were working that day. So I don't, I'm going to, I mean... I kind of want to blame it on the fact that I didn't hear part, I didn't know anything about part two because we skipped it. So I couldn't understand any of the concepts. But in reality, I was pretty much a deadbeat that day. <laughs> That's okay. So now this is your warning that next week's podcast, you guys might enjoy it, but I couldn't fucking learn anything. So maybe this, now that I get part two, part three will make sense to me more. So, um, I don't know, Sam. What what else we got going? Like, do you have anything else? I guess we already went through our, uh, you know, what happened in our personal lives. So there's not much to add, right? Unless you had like an amazing two days. Um, no, I, I say this is, is like uh, this is like the podcast equivalent of a Christopher Nolan movie. It's like all out of order. You have to rearrange it, play it through multiple times. Yes, <laughs> we are the memento of podcasts. You just got to piece it all together. Uh, at the end of the, whenever we finish this thing. Did you see his latest movie, Tenant? No, no, I heard it was underwhelming, is what I heard. Yeah, I heard it's just really hard to follow. Like, I heard the action's cool, but it's just, you got no idea what's going on. Yeah, maybe he needs to dial it back on the confusion thing. Like, let's just do a <laughs> linear story, please. Okay, Chris, let's turn the confusion meter down. Okay, Chris, yeah, <laughs> we get it. You, you, you know how to throw a fucking plot together in... Uh, <laughs> A Jackson Pollock style, but let's uh, let's get back to basics here. Yeah, beginning, middle, end, hero's journey, nail it, knock it out of the park. You know, there's nothing wrong with keeping it simple. No, sometimes it's harder to keep it simple. Sometimes that's the real challenge. Sometimes it takes more skill to keep it simple and make it impactful. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. That's what I say when things look too hard, and I just keep it simple. Yeah, exactly. In case I know a lot of people are probably wondering, but my cats have started to get along, so that's uh, oh wow, a lot of stress out of this household now that we have the war is over. They still have a couple skirmishes here and there, but for the most part, I can leave them out of my line of sight, and they don't end up trying to kill each other. So been pretty good that way. They accept each other's right to exist. Yes, and I think because the kitten's gotten like quite a bit bigger over the last couple of weeks that she's becoming a little bit not worth 
not worth it to fuck with for the for the older cat Thomas. Oh, uh, I see. So it's a it's a bit of a mutual respect, but also he can still put her in her place once in a while, but it's not very often. So huzzah, peace, man, peace in the Middle East. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like humans, we can't get along, but these two cats, they figured it out. I mean, what does that say about us? They figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> There's enough room for both of them. They both get fucking food in the morning and at night. It's, it's not like they don't, there's no reason to fight. There's no reason to fight. There's no reason to. They play hard, play hard, work hard. That's what I say. <laughs> sleep hard. Play hard, work hard, sleep hard. They sleep pretty hard. Cats sleep like 18 hours in a day. It's ridiculous. It's so, I'm so jealous. What a way to live. Yeah. I mean, they're like a, they're a uh, explosive ambush predator. They don't really, they don't really have to do anything until they like have to explode for that one time a day. That's true. If they're not like running at top speed trying to kill something, they're just they're laying around. I mean, that makes sense. They only need about thirty seconds of fast movement a day to get their job done. Mm-hmm. Like if things work out, like it makes sense that they sh- that they are lazy, right? Because if you use, if they burn too many calories. And they don't catch any food. They like starve to death. So they got to like take it. They got to ease into it. Take it slow. That's true. Conserve energy. They got to just sleep until the time's right. And then it's big energy. Kill, eat, sleep. That's a great life. I wish it was like, imagine if you only had to do like 30 seconds of hard work a day and you were good <laughs> after that. And you could just lounge around. Oh, that'd be amazing. 30 seconds of hard work a day. 30 seconds of like really explosive energy work and then boom, you can go back to napping under a tree. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people probably do only, well, I don't know. I wonder what the, like the average person who like moves the least. I swear my roommate. What are you tapping on? Are you trying to, are oh, you sorry. trying to give our producer an aneurysm? <laughs> sorry. I was... Are you just fucking tapping on a water bottle? <laughs> no, was... You just added a half an hour of work to our producer's life. so. There you go. I was uh, pouring the contents of a can into a glass, and then I was tapping the glass at the end to get those last few drops out. You fucking selfish piece of shit. I know. You needed those last few drops that bad, hey? I like getting every last drop. What can I say? <laughs> what are you drinking on? This is a, uh, it's in a can. It's called uh, Pink Gin and Soda with Raspberry and Bitter Orange. Uh, getting crunk, Daddy, eh? On a Wednesday. It's only five. It's only five percent. Three fifty-five milliliter can. Okay. Well, I guess that makes sense. Why you want every drop out of that bad boy? Exactly. Well, why don't we just get to it? Why don't we just get to it today? All right. <laughs> okay. Let's let's just fucking go. Let's fucking go right into it. All right. So so uh, last last time on the podcast, um, <laughs> we talked about Aristotle. Do you remember that? I do. We talked about. The, uh, fuck, what was it? There was like four, uh, what were they called? Four, I want to say forms. That's Plato. Fuck. Fail. Fail. We were talking about the knife getting sharp? Uh, yeah, yeah, there was a knife getting sharp. Ah, shit. You don't take it seriously, as my, uh, (laughs) philosophy professor once yelled at me in undergrad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you don't take this course seriously. He yelled at you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is he an Italian guy? That's uh, that's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Super, really grumpy Italian guy. Yep. <laughs> How did you not burst out laughing? Um, I mean, I've, I learned long ago that you don't, uh, you don't disrespect teachers to their face because it never works out for you. 
<laughs> That's a good point. Okay, so why don't you give us a little rundown of part two? I mean, part one of this trilogy. Right. Um, yeah, it's like going from Fellowship of the Ring, skipping ahead to Return of the King, and then doing Two Towers last. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like uh, you start with the New Hope, you go to Return of the Jedi, and then the third movie is Empire, Empire Strikes Back. It doesn't make sense. I wanted to do a podcast at one point where the whole premise is you watch the first five minutes of a movie and the last five minutes of a movie and you try to <laughs> speculate on what the fuck happened. <laughs> All right, what would the worst movie be to do that in? 2001 A Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Memento might be the best one to do it. Maybe. <laughs> Memento would actually make, it would make sense. Yeah. Because five minutes is like barely enough for any plot points to get hit at all. So, like, yeah, you just have to, I don't know. And then, uh, I don't know what else that would just be the whole podcast. And then, I guess, I don't know, the next week they have to, you have to watch the movie and see how close you were. Mm -hmm. Or maybe one person has to watch the whole movie and the other person can only watch the first five and last five. And then they, they, they just see how close they are to what actually happened. And try to piece it together. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I think uh I think trying to do that, yeah. Two thousand on a space odyssey, that wouldn't make any sense. I haven't seen that. I've never seen that. Oh my god, you should watch that. Eat some mushrooms and watch that maybe. Uh okay, anyway, let's let's get into this. All right, so we talked about Aristotle, right? He thought that there were four kinds of causes and that sometimes all of them are present together. So I was right about the four. I was right about the four thing. You were, you were right. You were right about, yeah, about the four things. Nice. <laughs> and the most important one he called the final cause, which is the purpose or the function of the thing. And so he thought that the reason things are the way they are is so that they can serve their proper function. Okay, wait a sec. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You just said I was wrong before and that it was Plato that I was trying to reference. But this is exactly what I was talking about with the knife. Uh, well, you, you said uh, four forms. Okay, I couldn't think of the word, but I, it is to do with the knife thing. The, the analogy we used that whole lesson was about a knife. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of right. You're right, yeah. The word, the word wrong. Yeah, Plato forms or Plato, Aristotle is um, causes. Okay. So the final cause is the purpose. So he would say the reason a knife is sharp, the cause of the knife being sharp is that it has to be sharp so that it can cut things. Yes. And then there's like other minor, there's like minor causes like, oh, it's, it's sharp because someone made it sharp. But why did they make it sharp? Well, they made it sharp so that they could cut things. So the real reason why the knife is sharp is because it has this function, this purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's true about like animals, right? Like why do... All the tigers always have sharp teeth. Well, it's because the teeth have to be sharp so they can chomp on some meat. Yeah. And so, he, and so this view, this view dominated philosophy. Like people tried to shoot it down, but they were pretty unsuccessful. And it pretty much dominated for like over a thousand years. This, this view dominated. Pretty good, uh, pretty good hang time for Aristotle. Pretty not bad. Pretty <laughs> not bad. That's, that's, that's a long time for people to not be able to come up with something to refute something that we now know is incorrect or it's not agreed upon now is it no people don't really agree about aristotle's views on causation anymore because they don't really work for everything like they only it only works for some things yeah like the eclipse of the moon right like there's no purpose for that to happen but it still has causes so his theory is a little too like it isn't really that 
Simple. It's not simple enough, right? <laughs> Got to keep it simpler. So. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, so around the time of David Hume, people had started to like, they were like less interested in Aristotle because they wanted to explain scientific causes. And Aristotle wasn't great at explaining stuff like that, like scientific stuff. Like why does the moon go around the sun? Why does one billiard ball roll away when another one hits it? Like he wasn't so good at that. Yeah. So they were trying to figure out how do you prove or justify a causal inference, right? So suppose you see a man, he's wearing a suit, he's walking down the street and suddenly he slips. And you don't see what he slips on, but you just see him slip. And so you go and look and you see a banana peel. Ugh. What causal inference do you make? Causal inference. Um, the man slipped because the banana peel is slippery? Exactly. <laughs> I don't know. No, that's, that's exactly it, yeah. And he's in a cartoon? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you make the inference that, oh, the reason he slipped, the banana peel, the banana peel caused him to slip. Yeah. And so all the philosophers at this time, they were trying to say, how do you justify this inference? Because you didn't actually see the slips. How do you justify this? And so they were... Some of them wanted to use deductively valid arguments, right? Do you, do you remember what a deductively valid argument is? I'm going to go ahead and say it's in, it's in my mind somewhere probably because <laughs> you put it in there, but I don't know exactly where it is right now. So I'll get back to you on that when I find it. All right. So the deductively valid argument is if the premises are true, the conclusion must be true. Right. So it's like if P, then Q, P, therefore Q. And then the other kind of justification you could do would be a probabilistic demonstration. And this is, uh, it's not deductively valid, but you can, you can say like, oh, there will be like a high probability of, of this happening. Right. Yeah. And with causation, with like people slipping on banana peels, people had a hard time saying that like, this is deductively valid. Like if you step on a banana peel, then you will slip. Because you can imagine that maybe in like a, a different alternate world, maybe banana peels aren't as slippery. Well, what if the banana's on a gritty surface? Then it, the banana peel has to be on a smooth-ish surface for its slippery properties to be engaged, right? Because you step on a banana peel that's on gravel, it's, you're, not, you're most likely not going to, it's not going to slip out on you, right? Um, yeah, probably not. I mean, we'd have to... Actually, that all depends on which side of the peel you step on. Does it? Yeah, because only the inside of the peel is slippery. So if that's on the ground, if the inside of the peel is on the ground, mm -hmm. and you step on the outside of the peel, and the ground isn't smooth, it won't slip. But if you're wearing kind of a shoe that doesn't have very much grip on it, and you, slip on, and you step on the banana peel with the inside facing up, you'll probably still slip. See, there's a lot of variables involved here. Okay, yeah, there's a lot of variables. So yes, people. Some people are like, "Oh, look, we can we can justify causal inferences with deductively valid arguments." So there's a necessary connection between the cause and the effect. And then other people said, "No, there's no necessary connection." So the best we can do is probability. David Hume comes along and he says, "Well, actually, you can't justify this by either demonstration or probability. You're fucked." That's what David Hume said. Like, you can't do it. Ugh. Does he ever come with some solutions or do you just come in and say you're wrong all the time? <laughs> no, no, he, he will have a solution. He has, there's like, there's always like two phases to these, uh, these like philosophical arguments. The first phase is called the critical phase. And this is when they criticize what everybody else is saying. And they say, this is why everybody else is wrong. Yeah. 
and then after they are satisfied that they've proved everybody wrong, then they do their the constructive phase, and that's when they say this is how it actually is. But first, you have to prove everybody wrong. You know what? That's actually like a very, very common joke structure in comedy. I find mm-hmm. there's a lot of similarities between, um, like, just like arguments themselves are similar to jokes, right? Like they've got premises, and then yeah. the conclusion is like the punchline. I think comedians are often really good at the critical phase and not as good at the construction phase. <laughs> yeah. What's the critical phase of comedy or of a joke? Um, well, a critical phase would be to say there's like say there's something happening in something like that's popular in society, say like I don't know, a TV show is really popular and the and the and the uh, comedian will go up and they'll say this show is so popular but Here's why it fucking sucks, actually. And then they, that would be the first part of the joke. In my, if I was writing a joke like this, I'd say the first part of the joke is talk about why the status quo, the current thing is shitty mm-hmm. and stupid. Mm-hmm. And typically they'll go after something that's widely accepted to be good. Like, uh, uh, like for example, I've, I heard a few comedians during Game of Thrones start off by saying that it's a bad show and they critique it. Which season? I don't know. They didn't. You don't specify the seasons in a stand-up joke. Yeah, I get to the point. Dude, lazy research. Do your research. <laughs> but I think it would be a more complete bit if they say this is why it sucks, and this would this is what would make it good. Mm. And I think I've like that's a pretty common joke structure. I find. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Just be a contrarian. Like, this is why this thing that everybody likes sucks, actually, even though everybody seems to agree it's good. But this is why it sucks. And this is what would make it good. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, basically the same idea. Yeah. So, yeah, so Hume, um, he split everything into these two groups, right? So everything that you can know, there's two kinds of things that you can know. The first, he called them relations of ideas. And the second, he called matters of fact. So the first one, relations of ideas are things that you know independently of your senses, and if you deny them, it's a contradiction. Right. So um, example, all bachelors are unmarried, right? Yeah, because it it always comes down to the definition, right? All triangles have three sides, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yep, or all the, the interior angles of a triangle always equal 180 degrees. Yeah. So these are relations of ideas. They're true in all possible worlds. You don't need to go out and test them. You just know that they're true. And if you deny it, it's a contradiction. Yeah. So then there's the other kind, matters of fact. So these are truths that depend on the way the world is. So for example, if someone says to you, all dogs have four legs, you need to go and see. You need to check that. And you know what, guess what? You're going to find out that that's not true. Not all dogs have four legs. Some dogs have three legs. Yeah. I saw a couple three-legged dogs the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you've seen a three-legged dog, then you've seen me, the wrestler, <laughs> uh, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, so there's an important distinction between um, matters of fact and relations of ideas. Matters of fact could have been otherwise. Right, so it's true that the dinosaurs went extinct. That's a matter of fact. Yeah. It's true because of the way the world is, that dinosaurs went extinct. Yeah. But we can imagine another possible world where dinosaurs did not go extinct. But we can't do that for a relation of ideas. There's no possible world 
where you have a triangle, but the interior angles don't add to 180 degrees. Yes. Yes, quite. Quite. Mm-hmm. Quite, quite indeed, yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm understanding the difference between the two. Relation of the ideas and matter of fact. Matter of fact are the ones that could have possibly gone a different way, right? Exactly. They, they're contingent on the way the world is. Their truth is contingent. That's what they say. Right. Contingencies. Yes. Huh. Matters of fact, contingent. Relations of ideas, necessary. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's consider causation. Causation, you have two events. You have the cause, that's event one, and then you have the effect, event two. Okay. So for example, you suppose you see someone in the park and they're like lying on the grass and they're looking up at the clouds and they're like giggling and they're acting very weird. And you walk over them and you see that they have a bag full of little squares of colored paper. Uh huh. What would you conclude? What would your inference be? I got to eat some of those. <laughs> <laughs> I would conclude that those are now mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hell yeah. I would assume that, that he's, uh, that, well, I could assume, I would, I would guess, I guess is a better word, I would guess that he was tripping on LSD. Beautiful. Right. So we've got two events. One, this person ate some LSD. And two, they started tripping. So there's like, it seems like there's a connection between these two events, the cause and the effect. Yeah. Hume wants to know what, is, what kind of connection is this? Is this connection a relation of ideas or is it a matter of fact? It's neither. It's neither. Oh, damn. You're, you're jumping. You're jumping. The, okay. That's interesting. What makes you say it's neither? Well, it's not a relation of ideas because not all little squares of paper are necessarily laced with LSD. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, just because he's laughing at the clouds next to a bag of drugs doesn't mean he took the, the drugs. Okay, right. Yeah, so like, let's assume for the sake of argument that you saw him eat the paper. You know he, he ate the paper and that there was LSD on it. Okay. I know both of those for a fact. Yeah, and you know that the LSD went into his brain and did some weird stuff, and now he's, now he's tripping. Okay, so I know he's tripping on LSD for a fact. Yes. Okay. Let's pretend this is the first time. You know what LSD is. You know it's on these papers, but this is the first time you've ever seen someone take it and trip on it. Okay. So what kind of a relation is this, right? So remember, relation of ideas could not have been otherwise. Denying it is a contradiction. Yeah. And matter of fact, the truth depends upon the way the world is. And it could have been otherwise. It would be a matter of fact then, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Hume would argue that this cannot be a relation of ideas because it's possible to imagine this cause happening without the typical effects following it. Yeah, like he could have done so much LSD the night before that this had no effect on him. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, or we could imagine that like the... We are in a, like a different possible world and our brain chemistry is just a little different and LSD just has no effect on us. Yes. So, yeah, so it's not a, not a relation of ideas. This is not something that's true in every possible world, no matter how the world is. Yeah. I could imagine that somewhere someone is immune to the effects of LSD. Mm -hmm. That poor bastard. Yeah. Here's another, another way you can think about it is um, suppose you are a Martian and you visit Earth and you see someone eating this piece of paper. You can't tell by looking at the paper, holding it, smelling it, tasting it, what the effects are going to be. You 
you have to see it in action to know like what it's going to do. So you have to like test things. Yeah. And I mean, you can't really understand what any substance does unless you experience yourself. Mm-hmm. Like someone on LSD can write down everything they're experiencing, but you still won't understand unless you experience it yourself. So, no, I mean, yeah, they probably won't even understand it either. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. All right. So, yeah. So, the conclusion is that the connection between the cause and effect must be a matter of fact. So, our belief in cause and effect, it comes because we've seen the same events come in succession so many times. Right. Right. We've, we've seen people eat the acid and they trip. Mm-hmm. And we've just seen this so many times. Those two actions are already related in our head, right? Mm-hmm. Like an alien could see someone eat the acid and see their strange behavior, but not link the two events at all. Right. Yeah, exactly. Now, so Hume wants to know what, like in this case, right? Like we all think we know. We would all be happy to say that the reason that we trip after we eat the LSD is because there's like some connection between the LSD and us tripping. Yes. But what, what justifies that inference? Do you know how LSD interacts with your brain to cause you to trip? No. No. Do you know how your brain works at all? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even sure it does. So well, if you listen to the next episode, you'll see that it's, <laughs> it might be a stretch to say that sentence about my brain, <laughs> that it works. Um, no, I, like, I don't understand the human body. I, I, like, I think I probably get the gist of about 10% of the functions of a human body. Yeah. Yeah, like we've, people have told us like why it works. They're like, oh yeah, it's like a molecule and it goes in there and it does some stuff with neurotransmitters. And- yeah, like I, beyond like I know that I have a skeleton and like my tendons attach my muscles to the skeleton and like those are like the pumps that allow mobility like, <laughs> and that there's synapses firing. But if you start talking about enzymes and, you know, fucking blood brain barriers and shit like that. I'm I'm completely just I'm faking it if you're talking to me about that and I'm nodding my head. Oh man, every, everybody is. Nobody really knows what they're what they're talking about with this stuff. <laughs> I I bought a book written by the guy who invented LSD and even he has no fucking clue what this stuff is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a happy accident, I guess. It's pretty crazy. Like uh this is one of the most interesting facts about LSD. The lethal dose of LSD for a mouse is higher than the lethal dose of LSD for an elephant. Yeah, see, that is where you're like, how, that doesn't make any sense to me. It's yeah, just but, <laughs> and it's also weird how like certain foods are poisonous to other mammals, but not to us. Like, why? Yeah, like I think nicotine is like really bad for horses, but I'm actually not sure about that. Well, it explains why I've never seen one smoking, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Joe Camel. <laughs> you think those humps are natural? Those are fucking tumors, bud. <laughs> those are tumors. <laughs> Couple of spine tumors. I'm not a dromedary, but I got two humps. One of them's a tumor. <laughs> right, okay. So when we really like get down to it, it seems like the only real like basis for our inference that eating LSD causes us to trip is that it's always happened. Yeah. 
Now, you could push back on that a little bit, right? Because you could say like, well, the first time I took LSD, I didn't know, I'd never, it would have never happened before and it still made me trip and nothing has ever made me trip like that. The only thing that I changed about my life was eating the LSD. So it must have been the LSD. Yes, but you already, you like, you didn't know for sure, but you knew from watching other people probably or just cultural knowledge. But you never, like I said, you can't actually understand what something's going to do until you try it for yourself. Yeah. But it's, it's also true that the first time you do it, you, aren't, you don't know if it's going to work or not. You have no idea if it's going to work. That's true. And then later times when you do it, you're like, oh, this is going to make me trip in about two hours. Yeah. And then sometimes it doesn't work as well. So you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then sometimes it works way, way more intensely than you expected. <laughs> And sometimes you're pretty sure you didn't even have LSD because you don't remember what you are or who you are anymore. So <laughs> LSD doesn't even come into your mind. Exactly. You're just uh, curled up on the bottom of an inflatable dinghy covered in mud. Yeah. Talking to cosmic demons. <laughs> totally forgetting that you ingested any sort of drug. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So the only basis, right, for our, generally the only basis for our inference that one event eating the LSD causes the other event tripping is that it's always, they always occur together. They always occur one after the other. Mm -hmm. So the problem with this, or at least the problem that Hume was interested in is that these inferences are supposed to tell us about how things are going to happen in the future. Okay. So consider, um, consider this short, these two uh, premises, or this is like one premise and then a conclusion. So the first premise is eating LSD has caused me to trip in the past. The second premise is eating LSD now will cause me to trip in about two hours. Yeah. So how do we get from one to two? We need a link. And so again, Hume is like, okay, what kind of link is going to get us from one to two? Is it going to be a relation of ideas or is it going to be like a matters of fact? Is it going to be demonstrative reasoning, like what you would use in geometry or probabilistic reasoning? Probabilistic, right? Yeah, right. So, so Hume is like, nope, there's no way this could be demonstrative because it's possible that um, the course of nature could change in the future. Maybe my brain chemistry will change in the future and eating LSD won't make me trip anymore. Mm -hmm. It's possible to imagine that. It's not a contradiction. Yeah. Yeah. So it must be probabilistic reasoning. So whenever we make a causal inference and then use that causal inference to predict the future, we have to insert a premise, a probabilistic premise. And this premise, Hume called it the uniformity principle. And that is just the future will be like the past. Right. Which is how we all navigate through life. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and Hume would agree as well. So the first premise is eating LSD has caused me to trip in the past. The second premise is the uniformity principle. The future will be like the past. So the third premise is eating LSD now will cause me to trip in about two hours. So that's the argument. Makes sense to me. Seems to make sense. It's like every morning I get in my vehicle and I press on the gas pedal and I know that in the past that made the vehicle go. Yeah. So I just assume that's going to happen again today. Yeah. Now, I've had times where it hasn't and that's usually <laughs> a huge fucking wrench in my life that has to be dealt with. <laughs> There's nothing like something that's always worked out for you suddenly not working out. And it always just happens at the worst time. Ugh. Yep. Right. So 
So, so this argument, it looks, it looks great on the surface, but Hume would actually say this argument begs the question. It's a circular argument. It's a fallacious argument. Throw it away. Fallacious? Fallacious, yes. Okay. Salacious. Salacious or fallacious? Fallacious. Like a fallacy. And that word doesn't relate to fallatio at all? <laughs> it relates to neither fallatio nor fallacies. Oh, shit. <laughs> Damn. That's unfortunate. <laughs> Fuck. Just when this was getting good. Hume disappoints once again. <laughs> All right. So how, why is it circular? Okay, well, where do we get this second premise? How do we know the truth of this second premise? The future will be like the past. See, that's the one where it's like you just can't, you just, there's no way to actually know that for sure. <laughs> Right. It's not, um, it's not intuitive the way a relation of ideas would be intuitive. Like all triangles have three sides. All bachelors are unmarried. The future will be like the past is not, is not like those kinds of sentences. No. And it's also, it's not a relation of ideas. You can't prove it like that. It's also not demonstrable because you can imagine the future not being like the past. Right. Just like you said, like sometimes you try to start your car and it doesn't start. Yeah. Future's not like the past. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like to claim that that's always going to be the case. Even a, anyone can tell you that that's not going to be the case without much thought put into it. <laughs> it's true. Anyone who's had anything unexpected happen to them will disagree with you. Exactly. But it's weird because like we never really, we act as if the future will be like the past, generally. Yeah. I mean, you have to, in order to function as a human being, you have to, kind of have faith that, you know, when you pour the milk out of the jug, it's going to go into your bowl and not just shoot across the room and <laughs> fucking soak your cat, right? Yes. The chaos. Yeah. But as like as anyone who's ever dabbled in stocks knows, <laughs> the future is not like the past. <laughs> no. All right, so if we can't justify this with like our intuition, if we can't justify it, it's it's not demonstrable because it we can imagine it being different. So it must require probabilistic reasoning, right? Yeah. But the reason that we needed that principle in the first place was to get rid of that. Was to establish our, we needed it because we wanted to say that it would be probable that eating LSD would cause me to trip in about two hours. So we're assuming the truth of our conclusion in our premises. Our premises are actually just saying the same thing as our conclusion. So it's a cir- totally circular argument. It's a phallic argument. It's a phallic argument, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so th- it just doesn't work. Fallacious, that's what it was, right? Fallacious, yeah. So Hume is basically saying, look, you can't, you're, none of your causal inferences, not even your really fancy scientific ones with all of their cool formulas, all of these are sort of resting on, they're like a, a house built on sand, as Jesus would say. <laughs> Did Jesus say that? Yeah, the foolish man built his house on sand. I've heard, I know someone said that. Yeah. Did Jesus say all the good stuff in the Bible? Yep. No one else had cool stories like him. Yep. Get rich or die trying, Jesus. Get rich or die trying. <laughs> <laughs> what else did Jesus say? <laughs> Take the log out of your own eye, you dumb slut. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Get that log out of your own mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but he is without sin. Cast the first uh, stone. 
let what Caesars go on to Caesar and let what's God go on to God's. Yes, indeed. That's my favorite one because <laughs> uh, it was such a sneaky way to get out of the question. Like, Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was a sneaky way. <laughs> so you're saying I can just put my face on everything and it's mine. <laughs> exactly. Caesar is the, the prince of the earthly kingdom, but Jesus is the prince of the heavenly kingdom. Right. But you still got to give money to church. <laughs> they use crypto up there. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus coin. J-coin. <laughs> J-coin. <laughs> Very volatile. Very valuable. <laughs> Someone else comes. Lucifer's like, invest in hell coin. We're more stable. Yeah. Hell coin. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Okay, so Hume, so that was Hume's critical phase, right? He's shown that there's no rational justification for any causal inference. Not even like a fancy one with like a scientific formula to back it up because they all rely on this. They all justify their, their, their predictions with this principle that the future will be like the past. Yeah. But they actually have no way, they have no way to justify that principle that the future will be like the past without resorting to more premises saying that the future was like the past in the past, so the future will be like the past in the future, and it's just this mess. Right. So Hume has a, uh, an answer. He has like his explanation. And his explanation is that causal inferences are not based on reasoning. They are based on something that he thinks has equal authority, and he calls this custom. He doesn't really know how this works, but basically... <laughs> he just made a different name for what everybody else was saying already. No, well, no, he's, he's saying something different. He's saying that we don't, um, he's saying that we don't believe in, like our, our causal inferences aren't actually based on us reasoning. They're based on something else called custom, which he says that we've seen these events regularly followed by other events. And so this sort of repetition sort of makes an impression on our mind. Uh-huh. Like our mind is like clay, basically. And constantly seeing this repetition of events puts this impression on our mind that things will always, things will happen like that. It's like, it becomes like impressed on us. Yeah. It becomes like our habit, like our custom to expect that. But there's no reasoning involved. There's no, no thinking going on. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's his, uh, his answer to a lot of things actually is this, this idea of custom. And so the interesting thing about this is, right, so suppose we thought that there's a connection between a cause and effect. This connection is, I mean, it might be out there, but the only, we don't really have any reason to believe it. It's just like this non-thinking thing that's happened to us. Right. So the reason that we actually think that there's a necessary connection is because our, our brain is like clay. Easily tricked. Easily tricked, yeah. Trained it like Pavlov's dog. <laughs> right? Yeah, pretty. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's actually like a good, uh, a good similarity. Start our brains start drooling, and there's no food even there. Yeah, <laughs> just because we expect it to. Exactly. Yeah. So that's like a good example, I guess, of like how a brain can expect something based on repetition, even though there's no real reason to tie a, the sound of a bell to food being available. Right. It's just the constant repetition has created. Uh, created a custom in this brain to expect food when the bell rings. Yeah. But there's no, there's no rational justification. It's more, like a, it's more like a mechanical relationship almost. Yeah. Yeah. These are things we need to survive, really. 
these custom like imprints. Well, that would be, yeah. I mean, that would be like a similar to what Aristotle would say. Aristotle would say, ah, well, the reason you expect these things is the reason your brain has this tendency to expect things is because that's its function. Its function is to learn what to expect. And so that's why that's actually the cause. Yeah. Like, because you have to, your brain has to make predictions without really any thought in order for you to like progress through life at all, right? Yeah, well, that's like another interesting thing, right? Is like the brain does a lot of work that we consciously are not privy to. Yeah. Like when you, when someone throws you a ball and you instinctively reach out to catch it, you like, it's really hard to like program a robot to do that. Like it takes tons of, I mean, that's something that they can barely do now. Like get a robot to catch a ball out of the air with a hand. Yeah. Like that's, that's hard to do, but our brain can do that so fast because somehow it's like, it's basically like somehow doing calculations to predict like the trajectory where you need to put your hand. Mm-hmm. A lot of reflexive behavior is obviously without thought happening. It's like when Hawaii you can pretend to throw something at someone and their arms will shoot up automatically. Yeah. They didn't really think of anything. Yeah, there's no conscious thought. But in order to direct the hand to that exact point in space at that exact time, there is like a calculation that you have to do, but your brain just does it subconsciously without you knowing about it. It's almost weird like that you say this because sometimes I find it almost more difficult to catch something tossed at me if I know moments ahead of time that they're going to try and throw it to me, right? Mm. I feel like I have a higher success rate if people just toss something at me with no warning as long as I'm like kind of looking at them. Yeah, that's interesting. Because like, the anticipation of the throw, now you're actually kind of doing calculations on like consciously, whereas if someone just throws something at you, your brain does all that without you having to think about it. Yeah. Whereas if you're anticipating the throw, now you're like focused on what's about to happen and the anticipation, you're trying to like run through all these scenarios of where it could go, where it might end up. Whereas I think I do this is totally unscientific, but I feel like I have a higher success rate if I don't know the toss is coming. I mean, you might be onto something. As long as it's not like, you know, whipped at my head or I need to be like, it has to be in my field of view, obviously, but. Yeah, no, you might be onto something. There's a really interesting phenomenon called blind sight. And this is like this rare, uh, have you heard of this? No. So this is like this rare condition where someone is blind because there's been damage to a particular or like a particular pathway, a neural pathway in their brain doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So the information from their eyes isn't able to get to their visual cortex through this particular pathway. Uh So like they're, they're blind. If you ask them like, do you see anything? They're like, no, I'm blind. I can't see anything. I don't even know what, what it is like to see. Um, They're totally blind. But sometimes some of these people, they have another pathway that isn't damaged and that information can go through to the brain but they're just not consciously aware of this information. But you can, but these people are able to, like they've done like this, they've done experiments on this. This is like a real phenomenon where they can, for example, navigate around obstacles without knowing, without knowing that the obstacles are actually there. Interesting. And so the idea is that uh, your brain basically is processing information for you, even though you're not consciously aware that it's processing this information. 
Well, it kind of reminds me of, I will relate it to something I know. Uh, when I am playing the drums, I am significantly shittier at it if I'm thinking about playing the drums while I'm playing the drums. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, if I, any, and I'm sure any sort of art form can be like this. It's like, that's what they call this flow state thing is when you kind of stop having to think about what's happening, you become significantly better at it. Oh, yeah. If I was like, okay, I want to sit down and play the specific beat on the drums, and I'm like, hey, I know the kick kick hits here, the snare hits here, and then I'm going to have these quarter notes on the hi-hat, and I try and play with those thoughts in my head, I will sound like a fucking, like I'm 10 years behind of where I'm actually at as a drummer. But when I'm really feeling like I'm in the, like, in the shit, I am not thinking of pretty much anything. It's nothing about drumming is even going through my head. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. And that's when you will make like, you'll be able to do stuff you didn't even know you had the ability to do. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, they, they put, I think they put like neur- neur- neurons or, or what are they called? Electrodes on, um, yeah. Like some soccer player's brain, like Neymar or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they had him play and his brain activity was actually like really low. Yeah, like it, it didn't light, they expected it to light up in all these areas, right? Like all this act, like all this activity happening, but it really like less shit was firing. Yeah, it was more like someone meditating than someone actually like thinking really hard. Yeah, that's what it is. Like when you're in like a flow state, whether you're, I mean, you can do, it can be anything. Like you could be mowing the lawn and get into this place where you aren't really thinking about anything and you feel, it feels good. Yeah, you're just going with the flow. Yeah. Dow. Fuck off with the Dow. <laughs> <laughs> All about that flow state. Go with the flow. Dow. One with the universe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to achieve. And it's really hard to achieve if you set out to try and achieve it, which is like, you know, that's another thing that's kind of like trying to fall asleep. But harder you try, the least, the, the less likely you'll be able to achieve it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like, the harder you think, the harder you fall. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can assume like when people first start meditating, you know, you're trying to clear your head of all thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but it's like the more you try and not think, the more thoughts rush through your head. Mm-hmm. I asked a guy about this. I met like a, he's like a Buddhism scholar. Yeah. And uh, I asked him about this and he's like, no, 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 no. Like think about it like, He's like, you can think about it like a couple of ways. He was like, think about it like your brain is like this crazy horse. Uh-huh. And all day you're riding this horse. You're like getting it to jump over things, getting it to do stuff. It's going crazy. And then at the end of the day, you try to go to bed and the horse is just like running, running around like, like a maniac in the, in the pen. Uh-huh. So like when, when, you, when you meditate, basically, it's like you're just jumping off the horse mid-race. And then your brain is like the horse and it just keeps shooting ahead because that's like the speed it was going at yeah and so you can't like rein it in you just have to let it run itself run itself out yeah i've heard similar stuff about meditation where you're not supposed to try and stop your thoughts from flowing through you're just supposed to kind of disengage from them yeah and observe them from a kind of third person view because you'll never be able to stop thoughts from going through your head like you know, what the hell happened that day, but you can sort of 
instead of experiencing them, just kind of sit and watch them as like a, a third party observer. Yeah, exactly. Um, you just have to like just sort of let them go by, let them happen, and eventually they'll uh, run themselves out. But I mean, who has time for that? <laughs> well, I've never actually tried to meditate, but uh, I do feel like that is kind of what happens when I'm in a flow state when I'm, you know, doing something. Sometimes even at work, if I'm doing a task that's kind of repetitive, but I don't, I'm not like concentrated on anything in particular. I'm not really thinking about anything in particular. I'm just kind of in it. And those are the days where you look at the clock and it's like, holy shit, it's been four hours. I feel like I just got here. (laughs) Yeah, that's the best. Yeah. But yeah, it's like you could just let the horse run itself out for hours or you could just shoot it with a trank dart. (laughs) Exactly. That's what we're talking about. Some of that (laughs) THC, baby. (laughs) Yes. Make sure you get the indica, because if you get the sativa, that's like giving the horse adrenaline shots infused with LSD. Oh my god, <laughs> it's all yeah, it's all becoming the same. Well, that's. Uh, do you feel like you've concluded this episode, this uh, part two, sufficiently? Part two, Hume strikes back. Yeah. Hume strikes back. <laughs> and then next week, which we already recorded, is the return of the cant. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, yeah, we could do return of the cant. The cant awakens. Cant awakens. <laughs> is it Aristotle, a new hope? Aristotle, a new hope. David Hume strikes back. The cant awakens. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, people. You know who you're going to realize wasn't awakened next episode? Me, <laughs> so I apologize for that. Um, Emails, questions, comments, concerns, donations. Uh, you can send <laughs> us uh, packages in the mail, you know? Yeah, send us packages. Found something on your walk home, and you're like, you know, like this, Sam and Jordan. Yeah. And um, much like that story in the Bible, if we can't agree who gets it, we'll just cut it in half, and uh, we'll each get half of it. Yeah, don't send us a baby. <laughs> no, do not send us a baby. Um, at least don't, you know... Not a baby. I'll, a toddler, if it can walk, you know, I can make something work with that. You know, I'll put it, I'll, you know, I don't know what I'll do with it, but at least it can like walk around on its own. Um, but like try and avoid sending us live animals or humans in the mail. Mostly emails would be great. Mm. You know, questions are really the gold we're after. Comments are like the silver and then concerns are like the bronze. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I guess babies would be like the the. Just don't send us any babies in the yeah, mail. Don't, I, don't I don't know why I'm yeah, have to, Why do that. I have to keep saying this to you, people? Yeah. Don't send us your children in the mail. Um, but if you do, send them to Sam Laboon in Toronto. Uh, that's it for <laughs> our episode. You guys all take care now.